two powerful forces that deeply influence our, our lives over and over. One of them is the force of or the quality of faith, and the other is the force of the quality of fear. These two qualities or forces we meet in our lives, and certainly we meet them in our meditation. A faith is that is a quality of heart that allows us to open, to trust, and to love. Whereas fear is that quality of heart that leads us to close down, to avoid, or to try and control. Suspicion and mistrust that separates us or sets us apart from others or from ourselves are the children of fear. Faith holds within it a quality of courage that allows us to take risks in ourselves, in our meditation. Whereas fear has a strong passion for safety. Guided by fear, unpredictability in our lives is seen to be an enemy. Faith is a quality that allows us in our lives to live without guarantees, without proof, without evidence. Whereas the very embodiment of fear is that it desires certainty so strongly. Faith has within it a strength and a balance that allows us to embrace the difficult and the painful. Whereas when we are fearful, we want to flee. We want to flee from anything which challenges us, which is difficult, and to try and find refuge in avoidance or in distractedness. Faith encourages us to move in our lives, to reach for what we don't know, to extend our horizons beyond all that is familiar to us, whereas fear leads us to try and shelter, always in the security of what we know and have, or to shelter within the boundaries of what is familiar. Faith is a powerful quality in every spiritual path. It is the quality that allows us to stay open and vulnerable in the midst of the unknown. Whereas when we are fearful, facing the unknown, we always want to control it. I think through faith we can discover a sense of mystery in the unknown, an openness to the unfoldment of each moment. Where is fear mostly in our lives? deprives us of that sense of mystery. If we think of when there is the sense of faith present in our lives or in our meditation, that it holds within it a remarkable patience, <coughs> a patience that doesn't demand answers, doesn't demand resolutions. Whereas fear, when we are fearful, we are so impatient. We want to know what is happening. We want endings, resolutions, conclusions, 
We want everything to be so clearly defined for us. Because faith holds within it that openness to the unknown, it is also a place of great calm and ease. It's a refuge. Faith is a refuge in life storms and a refuge in some of the storms that do unfold in our own meditation. Whereas when we are fearful, of course, we are anything but calm, anything but at ease. When we are fearful, it often seems that there is no refuge anywhere. Instead, more often, we feel threatened or we feel to be a victim. I feel in meditation on retreats, we have an intimate introduction to both faith and fear. And they don't always seem to be very easy companions. Many times in meditation, we struggle with fear. But it is important never to regard fear as an enemy. It's not something to get rid of, not something to overcome, not something to transcend. But more often, it is through fear that we actually discover the power of faith. Through befriending fear in all of its many faces, in the face of doubt, wearing the face of anxiety or aversion or greed or resistance, it is through befriending all of this that we actually learn how to rest in a place of great trust and faith in ourselves. Thomas Merton once said that true love and prayer are learned in the hour when love becomes impossible and the heart has turned to stone. There are many different qualities of faith that we carry within ourselves, that we encounter in our lives and in our practice. One quality of faith is a very fragile sense of faith or trust that is often actually mixed with fear. Sometimes it is a fragile faith that is born of wanting, sometimes desperately wanting, something or someone to believe in or trust in. We might want to believe in another person that we have a a spiritual relationship with. We might want to believe in a, a system that offers us some kind of refuge. It is a faith that is a faith that is mixed with fear that can actually be quite dangerous to us. In this sense, it is faith that is born out of desperately wanting is often the first step of sacrificing freedom. A freedom, perhaps, we feel willing to surrender because it appears to offer us a freedom from fear that we find intolerable. It is when there is a faith that is mixed with fear that we form relationships of possessiveness or dependency or relationships, even when there might be abuse or oppression. It is a faith of clinging and holding, often based upon a fear of being alone. And it is that very tenuous, our fragile sense of faith that leads to destructive guru-disciple relationships, or that leads us to become converts to a belief system. 
you know, I certainly remember when I was practicing in Asia, you know, how often in the beginning of my path, how desperate I was to, you know, to find something that really felt certain, you know, a system that seemed kind of foolproof and that would protect me. And so many times when I began to, well, not many times, but a couple of times, <laughs> when I first began to practice in Asia, I became the convert of all converts. You know, when I first practiced in Tibetan Buddhism, I was more Tibetan than the most real Tibetan person you have ever seen. You know, I wore Tibetan clothes, you know, I ate Tibetan food, I learned to speak Tibetan. You know, my mala was spinning so constantly and fast, it was almost letting off smoke clouds, you know. I mean, I hardly was ever without a mantra on my lips, you know. And after a little time, you know, due to feeling let down by my system or my teacher, I became a convert to something else. It made me buy a whole new wardrobe. I had to learn a new language, you know, wear different clothes, eat different food. You know, someone, I was someone else again. That desire to be able to say, I am, you know, and I have, and the feeling safety that was offered by that. This fragile sense of faith, I think, is, it is a fragile sense of faith. It's easy to recognize, but it's not so easy to let go of. It's not so easy to let go of that desperation within our own hearts for safety and familiarity. Insecure faith does ask for a kind of surrender, but it's often a very kind of perverse or distorted sense of surrender a surrender of inner freedom, a surrender of inner authority, a surrender of inner autonomy in exchange for safety or affirmation. There's a quality of faith that in Buddhist teaching is called validated faith, that it is built upon evidence or proof. We may have a friend or a partner who's been incredibly steady in their relationship to us, who has always been reliable and accepting and open, so we have faith upon, within them, faith in them. We might have a relationship with a teacher who has always consistently honored our well-being and cared for our well-being without asking anything in return, and we have faith in that teacher. We might be in a particular teaching or practice that we've undertaken in our lives. And we see that through undertaking it and through practicing that we do come to greater clarity, greater peace, greater compassion, greater sensitivity. And so we have faith in that teaching. It is a faith in evidence. Something has proved itself to us. The results are visible. Our faith, then, is built upon something that is seen, something that can be known to us. There's also a quality of faith that actually can arise out of fear. Sometimes in times of great pain or crisis or difficulty in our lives, we suddenly feel the emerging of a great faith, but a faith that sometimes is a little bit more like hope. We want to have faith in something, or we feel that faith is going to guide us out of difficulty. There's a wonderful story of an atheist who fell off a cliff, 
And as he tumbled downward, he grabbed hold of a small tree. And there he hung with rocks a thousand feet below, knowing he wasn't able to hold on much longer. Then he had an idea. God, he shouted with all his might. Silence. No one responded. God, he shouted again. If you exist, save me, and I promise I shall believe in you and teach others to believe. Silence again. Then he almost let go in shock as he heard a mighty voice boom across the canyon. That's what they all say when they're in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) No, God, no, he shouted out even more hopeful. I'm not like the other. I've already begun to believe, having heard your voice. Now all you have to do is save me, and I shall proclaim your name to the ends of the earth. Very well, said the voice. I shall save you. Let go of the branch. Let go of the branch, yelled the distraught man. Do you think I'm crazy? (laughs) (coughs) Many of the qualities of faith in our lives are sometimes an attempt to move away from fear, an attempt to divorce ourselves from fear. But there is another quality of faith in meditation practice, which is very crucial to its unfoldment and deepening. It is a faith that is no attempt to move away from the difficult, but holds within it the willingness and the trust to embrace fear. In Pali, the word for faith is sada, and there isn't actually an English word which succinctly translates sada. Sada means trust, it means clarity, it means confidence, and it means devotion. And in Buddhist teaching, this quality of sada is said to be one of the primary foundations of all meditation practice. It is described as a treasure. It is not a blind faith. It is a quality of faith that positively encourages investigation and inquiry. It might even go so far as to say that it is a quality of faith that positively encourages doubt. To always balance any sense of faith with real wisdom. It's a quality of faith that encourages us again and again to check out the teaching, to check out the practice in the light of our own experience. Is it true for us? Is it enduring? Does it bring about transformation? It encourages wisdom, the wisdom of knowing that we can only take refuge in that which is true in that which is liberating and frees us from suffering and from delusion. It encourages us to look at what this teaching is about, that it is not about some other realm or some other form of experience, but this teaching is about the nature of our lives, the nature of change and impermanence, the nature of unsatisfactoriness, the nature of the emptiness of self, to look again and again to see, is this in our experience? Is it true in our experience that if we live in harmony and in the spirit of this teaching, 
that it brings greater freedom, that it frees us from the imprisonment of fear. It is because this faith is rooted in wisdom that it is called a treasure. It is Within it are the seeds of confidence, determination, and fearlessness. Unshakable faith is also one of the characteristics of enlightenment. One of the characteristics of enlightenment or awakening is the cessation of all doubt. What is this quality of faith that we speak about as being so important in the teaching that sustains our practice, that sustains us in our lives? It's not only a faith in what we see and in what we know. True faith is actually a quality of heart that allows us to rest with ease and with gladness in the unknown. To rest in not knowing is one of the greatest challenges we meet in meditation and meet in our lives. To rest in the midst of an inner and outer process that is unfolding and that has no signs or marks of unfamiliarity of familiarity challenges us so deeply to stay in not knowing. It is this quality of faith that allows us to be open and vulnerable, but with a profound sense of confidence. It is, you know, some people come to meditation retreats and they say, well, I've done all that faith business, you know, I did it when I was in the church, I grew up, you know, with faith shoved down my throat, and I no longer have any faith in anything. Actually, I don't think that um, anyone without any faith would ever end up on a meditation retreat. It is faith that brings us to this path and that certainly sustains us in the darkest and most uncertain places in our journey. Most people don't come to retreats because they're totally satisfied and content. Most people come to retreats moved by intuition. What is intuition? It's not some sort of fanciful thinking, you know, of how I'd like to be a super yogi or something like that. Intuition is something much more subtle, often not articulated, and yet it does bring us to meditation. Somewhere intuition, intuition is about a sense of possibility. The possibility of being free, the possibility of knowing the end of conflict and separation, the possibility of knowing the end of fear. Intuition is a voice of yearning or a voice of longing for freedom and for understanding. It is a powerful voice. It is a voice of, of confidence. And that voice of confidence or that intuition is not just about a particular system or place or location or a particular practice. That intuition is also in ourselves. The faith is also in ourselves the possibility of our awakening to all that is possible. The possibility of our awakening to a fullness of love, a fullness of wisdom, a fullness of freedom. 
everything in this teaching affirms that quality of faith and trust. You know, it is never, you know, in the Buddhist sutras when it talks about awakening and freedom, you know, it doesn't have little postscripts on the bottom of the page where it says, you know, and this is reserved for that 2% of the meditating population, you know, who are worthy enough or have the right karma or, you know, the right portfolio of experiences. Within all of Buddhist teaching, there is this affirmation of faith in each person who commits themselves to wakefulness. That, through that, there is freedom. Trust is an incredibly important quality in actually really opening to that sense of possibility. With everything we do in retreats, we make a journey. And one of the journeys we make again and again is the journey that we make from what we know to what we don't know. You think about it, when you began this retreat, you had no idea really how your retreat was going to unfold. Even if you've done a hundred retreats in the past, you really don't know what would happen in this week together. You don't know, in start, didn't know in starting this retreat, whether you would have a week of transcendental, illuminating, earth-shaking experiences, or whether you would spend a week stuck in the mud of dullness and resistance. You didn't know. There are no guarantees. You know, we don't put it in the schedule, you know, spend five days at Gaia House and have a wonderful time. We don't. We also don't say spend five days at Gaia House and suffer. No one knows when they begin their retreat what will actually unfold. We come here, and in many ways in coming here, you strip yourself of familiarity, you strip yourself of control. You don't know what will take place. And also in coming here, particularly in the way in which meditation is presented at Gaia House, is a way in which deprives us of the great servants of fear and anxiety. And you know the way in which we deprive ourselves or what the servants of fear and anxiety are? The servants of fear and anxiety is the capacity to measure and evaluate. And you don't have that in this practice. You have no way of measuring and evaluating. We see ourselves trying to do it. You know, you see yourself when you sit, you know, how often there's this mind that's kind of going on, you know, with this kind of constant commentary, you know, that was a pretty good sitting, you know, that was better than the last sitting, therefore it must mean that I'm improving, you know, and next sitting is probably going to be better. Or how, you know, we might come and say, that was an absolutely outrageous sitting, I'm really regressing, you know, it's much worse than last year, therefore, you know, it must be something wrong. And the mind is always trying to find that place of knowing, of finding a way to evaluate and measure what is actually going on. There are very few signposts to rely upon. You know, I think sometimes we would feel more satisfied on retreat if we had on the notice board a kind of list of signposts. You know, day one you should experience this, day two, you know. You should have, you know, three pains in your knee and ten thoughts during a sitting day four, you know, this should happen. 
somehow there would be something very secure about that. You know, we could go and say, oh, yes, I'm there, I'm ahead, or I'm behind, or, you know, we would have that sense of knowing. But there's, you know, there isn't anything here. I mean, nobody has ever actually failed at Gaia House. You know, nobody, I don't know if anybody has ever succeeded either, you know, because nobody is really very interested in those terms which are so familiar to us in the rest of our life and often so important to us in the rest of our lives. We can't measure the worth of a single sitting or a single walking. You can't measure insight or the ways in which you might be deepening. The sitting that we label as being the worst sitting of our lives, you know, where nothing happened, that might be the sitting where we're actually learning in a much deeper way about acceptance, about generosity, about patience, about compassion. That sitting that we're so tempted to label maybe being the best sitting we've ever had, that might be the sitting that actually reinforces clinging and a sense of self. There is no real way to measure how we are doing. Having very little to rely upon and having very few signposts to take refuge in, it is faith and trust that actually is allowing us to stay open and present. And we also begin to appreciate the wisdom of not knowing. What incredible freedom there is in not knowing, in not being able to evaluate. Sometimes we underestimate, I think many people underestimate the power of faith that sustains the meditation practice. I know many times I am absolutely awed by the power of faith within people on retreat. I mean, I know in talking to people that sometimes people are sitting with incredible difficulty, incredible resistances, or incredible pain. And still, they keep turning up. And I'm so surprised you're having Becca still here, you know. <laughs> there they are again on that cushion. And you notice, you know, we don't have any monitors here, you know. No one takes registration at the beginning of sittings, you know, or gives you you know, little check marks for good attendance or anything like that. There are no monitors. And what is it that brings us back again and again to sit and to walk, even when we are sometimes meeting new shadows within ourselves, meeting some of our greatest demons? It is faith. The faith that leads us to return again and again and again, even though intellectually we know it is much easier to avoid. You know, we all know that. It's, it's easy to avoid things in our lives. You know, our culture is almost designed to provide as many avenues of avoidance as possible. You know, we know how easy it is to avoid ourselves, even here. You know, you don't like what's going into on for yourself. Well, you know, you could go to the pub or, you know, go to Newton Abbott if you really want more punishment. You know, you can... <laughs> You can find some way to avoid a different form of punishment. Anyway, you can find some way. And yet, even though we know that in our minds, even avoidance starts to become uncomfortable. You know, one person 
told me, you know, like, oh, you know, I'm so tired of seeing it. It's so difficult being with myself. And they told me they decided to go to the post office to buy some chocolate. And all the way to the post office, there was this little voice that was saying, you know, you don't need to do this. You don't need to do this. You know, you're actually, you're just avoiding what's going on. You're just trying to get away from it. All the way to the post. It was a totally miserable journey. You know, they bought the chocolate bar. They're eating the chocolate I couldn't even enjoy the chocolate bar. You know, <laughs> little voice is saying, oh, you know, this isn't really any substitute for staying with it. You know, you're going to regret this. You know, you just have to go back. It's still going to be there. Even avoidance is no fun anymore, you know. It's like once you start to wake up, it is difficult to go back to sleep. It is difficult to go back to sleep. So we return again and again in our meditation. Not just out of guilt, not just out of, you know, out of obedience, but I believe out of a sense of confidence in our own possibilities. Yet that very faith that leads us to return again and again also evokes fear. Faith brings us to the cushion and fear makes us want to jump off. Fear is always, maybe not always, but almost always present in that transition from what we know to what we don't know. It is like fear is like the passageway between knowing and not knowing. Every time we sit, every time we walk, every time we commit ourselves to being wakeful, it is almost like we are inviting fear to come. And fear wears many, many different faces. You know, sometimes in a retreat, the emotions we experience, the mental states we experience, the feelings that we experience, they seem to be so varied and so different. And yet, beneath so many of them, there is this thread of fear. We experience aversion, we experience greed, we experience anger, we experience jealousy, we experience dullness. Often the thread that runs through all of them is the thread of fear. What is aversion? Aversion is about the unpleasant. What does the unpleasant do to us? It threatens our sense of self, and so there is fear. What is greed? The fear of not having enough. What is resistance all about? So often it is the fear of being overwhelmed. What is jealousy all about? It's often the fear of being less, the fear of being lesser. What are negativity or anger all about? The fear of being attacked, of being challenged, of being disturbed. And we see that within fear, that fear is actually the territory of self. It is the resting place of our belief, our beliefs about ourselves. There is no home for the self in the unknown. There's no home for the self in the unknown no refuge. It's like that, that Christian statement that says, you know, that God can only enter when no one is home. There can only be that sense of mystery when no one is home. Not knowing the unknown evokes the presence of the I notion most strongly 
you can see that that when we don't know the I notion comes to the surface not most strongly not knowing also evokes that sense of mystery and openness it is curious that that which we most long for in our lives that sense of mystery and openness and vastness and that which we most fear the fear of being no one the fear of not being in control that that which we most long for and that which we most lies in exactly the same place. We struggle with not knowing in very recognizable ways. Sometimes when the difficult or the challenging arises, you know, we struggle with it by trying to fix it, by trying to perfect it, by trying to make it better. Sometimes we struggle with not knowing through prescriptions of busyness and answers and doing. Sometimes when we face the unknown, we use labels to attempt to judge it or compare it or evaluate it, to make it familiar. Sometimes when we meet the unknown and the fear that arises, we try to take refuge in fantasy or distractedness. Sometimes we try and reassure ourselves we actually begin to see that none of these strategies are really very effective. None of them are really very effective. And when we see how very illusory is our capacity to control our universe, when we see how very illusory that is, that is the time often when we meet the many small doubts, the doubts in ourselves, you know, I don't know if I can do this, you know, it, it's not the right time for me, I don't have the right resources, you know, it's not the right practice for me. You know, the doubts that really uh, struggle with trying to find a way out. We see how much we want to be in charge. You know, we really want to be in charge of our process. We really want to believe that we're in charge of it. And yet, if you were really in charge of your process, would you have experienced what you experienced today? If you were really in charge of it? No. Probably, well, maybe. But <laughs> try yesterday. <laughs> would you have experienced what you experienced yesterday if you were really in charge? We are not. We begin in meditation, I think most of us, with some semblance of knowing ourselves. You know, we, 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 we know our bodies, we know our minds, we know our histories, we think we know our personalities. We have a certain picture of who we are, a picture that's, you know, built upon all of these different facets of our being that is combined together in a way in which we can say, well, I know myself. You know, I'm like this. I have this. I have this appearance, I have this presentation, I have this way of being. This is who I am. Well, lo and behold, when we begin to meditate, and especially when our meditation begins to deepen, that picture starts to come unglued. Because what holds that picture of our beliefs in our, about ourselves, 
What holds that picture together is so often the glue of clinging, the glue of holding. And as we become more calm, more still, more clear within ourselves, clinging begins to dissolve. And so too do many of our certainties and many of our ways of knowing. Now in deeper levels of meditation, that sense of dissolution also deepens incredibly deeply, so that it seems like there is nowhere to rest anywhere, nothing to hold on to anywhere. You know, things appear and they disappear in a moment, and there seems to be no certainty any within our, anywhere within our body-mind process. And it is a really challenging point. It's that point where there is a kind of dissolution of all that we know, and yet there is no real yet, no real clear emergence of anything out of that space, there is really no knowing anywhere. It is a point really of resting, of resting with incredible patience and openness and with confidence. It is like an alertness within that unknowing that allows it to be. Within that point, there is a sense of mystery, Sometimes there's also a great anxiety. Sometimes when our picture begins to come unglued, you know, the fear makes us want to kind of pull it all back together again. You know, I may not have liked that picture, but it was better than no picture. You know, we want to stick it all back together again. And we find ourselves struggling with it, you know, to try and regain some semblance of knowing. We forget that the point of meditation is to dissolve clinging. And that dissolving clinging is not some intellectual exercise. It means a dissolution of all of that knowing, of all of those pictures. But it also means entering into a territory we may, may never have been before. And within that territory, we are touched deeply, deeply by a sense of mystery. It's in that point between, in that point of dissolution, that faith, a very deep sense of faith emerges that allows the letting go of all notions of self. It is a faith that also allows us to take a leap into that knowing, not knowing. There's a wonderful Nasruddin story. Some of you probably are familiar with Nasruddin's story. Nasuddin was a Sufi saint, so to speak. Nasuddin's house was on fire, so he ran up to his roof for safety. There he was, precariously perched on the roof, with his friends gathered in the street below, holding a stretched-out blanket for him, and shouting, Jump, Muller, jump! Oh, no, I won't, said the Muller. I know you fellows. If I jump, you'll pull the blanket away just to make a fool of me. Don't be silly, Muller. This isn't a joke. This is your life. This is a serious jump. No, said Nasruddin. I don't trust any of you. Lay that blanket on the ground and I'll jump. (laughs) 
sometimes we feel okay about jumping if there's guarantees on the other end. But what is it that really allows us to make that jump without guarantees? And it is also remembering that part of faith, a very essential part of faith, is love. It is a passion for freedom, a love of freedom, a great confidence, actually, in the Dharma of life. Faith comes to us in many, many different ways in meditation. Sometimes when we least expect it, and sometimes when we seem to be most extended beyond what we believe is possible for us. For us. Somewhere there comes that little glimmer, that little glimmer of trust and confidence to take one more breath, to take one more step, to sit one more time, to walk one more time, knowing in our hearts that there are no guarantees. And yet it is that very movement, that very commitment of heart, that really somewhere within us we know is a doorway to freedom, to not knowing, to resting within just what is. If we take a couple of minutes, to sit together. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.